You're listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support or find out more information, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com. Well, uh, good morning. Good morning. Um, this week, as Ryan said, we're going to be talking more about um, some of Ecclesia's values as a church, um, namely, I guess, Sola Scriptura. That's kind of the, the, the thrust of it, the general thrust. Um, we'll be going through the gospel, um, which is pretty important and foundational to a New Testament church, um, a gospel-centered life, and uh, scripture. And so, you know, we should see how those, those three kind of values go into one another and um, inform one another. But, yeah, we'll kind of take a look at them each kind of on their own, looking at different texts. And so... Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the plan today. So in past weeks, Ryan has spoken on the gospel-centered community, on gospel-centered discipleship, on gospel-centered missional living. And so today we're going to be looking at those, those values that kind of hold, the, that hold these other things together, which is um, namely our identity as a new people in Christ who've been you know, brought to new life by the gospel. And um, scripture as our authoritative rule of faith. You know, we've, we've been given this new life. Um, now what, we might ask. Right. Um, and so, yeah, these truths are they're, they're the centerpiece of our theology as a church, like as the church. Like, you can't have a church without the gospel. You can't have a people, uh, God can't have a people who uh, don't know the gospel. You have to be regenerate. Um, so in the big picture sense, um, yeah, the, the gospel is cent- central to our, tr- to, our, to our theology as a church. Um, and then also, for Ecclesia as like a microcosm of the church, as a little instance of, you know, God's God's plan, God's cosmic purposing of making a people for the world, um, we'll be looking at, um, yeah, these, these foundational central doctrines. And so uh, we're, we're going to want to keep in mind the gospel and the rule of scripture over all of our faith as we're going into the doctrinal distinctives of Ecclesia as a local church in future weeks. Um, so get excited about that. <laughs> really excited about, um, honestly, just hearing what uh, Brian has to say about Ecclesia as an organization, because I'm, I'm really into that stuff. Um, so, and then I guess another side of a reason, or a contributing factor to doing these uh, value sermons because we have a lot of new faces around here. Um, I'm sure Ryan has mentioned this, or it's, it's been mentioned, uh, if not from the pulpit, then around it. Um, but, you know, we, we have all these new faces, and so um, hopefully listening to, to these values, uh, for you guys in particular, uh, for all the, the new folks, um, myself somewhat included in that, I guess. Um, hopefully it's been encouraging, hopefully it's been helpful. Um, and hopefully it's also been helpful for, you know, us old-timers as well, like people with, you know, gray facial hair who've been here for a number of months. Uh, so, I'm, I, I don't know, I've just been really encouraged by hearing these things. Um, so with that in mind, when we gather together as a people on Sunday mornings to hear the Word, to sing the truth about God, and to take communion, we're actually doing what God has called us to do as his people. Um, we're actually building his kingdom on the earth, like on Sunday, so that we can go be salt and light in the world throughout the rest of the week. Um, so let Ecclesia be a lighthouse. So this week we're going to look at kind of what fuels that, like what fuels the, the gospel ministry of Ecclesia as, as a church. So we're going to look under the hood. We're going to um, be looking at some some really fun passages today. Um, I'm really excited. So um, let's open to Psalm 1, if you have your Bible. Um, And then as you're getting there, I will go ahead and pray for us. Um, God, you've spoken um, about what you've done, and that's namely... Uh, lived and died and resurrected and uh, caused a new people to come from that. 
And God, we know that we find ourselves there today um, as your people. And so we just ask that you would, um, you would speak to us from your word. Because we're here, our hearts are um, affectionately set on you, so God, just speak. Um, and help us to listen. And Lord, help your, uh, help your people do and hear what we need to do here. Amen. So Psalm 1, um, as Ryan has already read for us, uh, I'm just going to read it again. Um, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked will perish. Um, so today, this is going to be sort of our, our chief text. Um, we're not going to be doing a direct exposition of it, though. Um, and so what the, what the plan is, what the goal is, is to kind of use what Psalm 1 is talking about as a tour guide through much of the New Testament, through what Paul has to say about uh, this, this life uh, that we've been given in Christ. So we're going to be looking at a number of New Testament passages. Um, and so, yeah, just for... For context for the psalm, um, it sets up every other psalm, like Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, both set up every other psalm thematically um, for the rest of that entire book of psalms. Um, so we want to kind of look at the themes that are established in psalms that sort of erupt from the people of God in song and poetry. Um, and so we're, we're going to look at Psalm 1 as the uh, kind of, the, the themes there as the bedrock of that. Um, so we want to look at the worldview of the blessed man in verse 1, um, see what he has going on, just as an example for us to follow. Um, because ultimately we know that we see that Christ uh, is the righteous man in verse 1. Uh, he did not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in, seated in, in the way of scoffers. Um, Christ perfectly upheld the law. He was perfectly righteous. Um, so the, the chief object of Psalm 1, the chief blessed man is Christ, and as he goes, so do we. Um, so that, that is covenantally extended to us. Um, it's applied to us by the Holy Spirit. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's just a really great text for us to go through this morning. Um, yeah. So as Christians in a fallen world, we often need to go back to the source of things, and you know we're always we know that we're in Christ, but we're we're constantly you know forgetting the the world, the flesh, the devil is constantly tearing at us, um, and even in just the the more neutral territory, so to speak, we go through our lives, uh, perhaps filling our schedules with work, kids, and friendships. We make deadlines, we plan vacations, and finish our taxes. Uh, we take our spouses out for dinner for Valentine's Day, hopefully. Um, as a church, uh, as, as an organization within the church, we might see ourselves uh, growing in number, which is a blessing, praise God, uh, and growing in depth and um, serving one another in the community. In the home, as a family, we might host a dinner, we might evangelize neighbors or teach our children. Uh, we're, we're always doing something, you know, if that covers everything, and you know, you're getting six and a half-ish hours of sleep, it's like church, work, home, where else are you going to be? Um, so we're always painfully aware that in these areas, there's work that needs to be done. Um, so in a sense, our lives are intrinsically outward, uh, especially during the week. Uh, so what would we be if we weren't doing something? So someone kind of looking in on that might say, where where's the gospel and all that? Is there room for it? Like, are you are you proclaiming it? Are you are you saying it? And and how your answer how you answer that question kind of shows the state of your own soul. Um, where is the gospel 
when you're at work. Um, hopefully your coworkers are witnessing it and hopefully they're, they're hearing you talk about it at least at some point um, throughout the course of your work. And so um, we, we have to be proclaiming the gospel at work. And, and before an- answering even where the gospel is, you have to know what it is so you know how to find it there and, and especially how to put it there. You need to know what distinguishes the true gospel from the false ones in your life because you're surrounded by the false ones. Um, you think about all the, the uh, kind of toxic relationships um, and just patterns and the, the script, especially maybe at work or at school or among uh, dysfunctional families. Uh, we're, we're surrounded by false gospels. Um, but God has called us, he's called you and me, to live set apart and holy before a watching world. And so having a foundation and a sure footing for your faith is what we need to, to have, to go into our weeks. Um, if we're going to be an effective witness in the world, we need to have a, a sure footing. We need to have a good grasp of what the gospel is. Um, and then, uh, especially, what, what all it entails, which scripture unpacks for us as well. Um, and so the blessed man in Psalm 1, I mean, he has that foundation. Uh, he... He's not walking in the counsel of the wicked or standing in the way of sinners. Um, and so the text is exhorting us, sort of by example, to cultivate that in ourselves, not only in the face of a watching world, but also, I mean, realistically, in an enemy who seeks to destroy us. And so the foundation is important. Uh, we, we need it. We need to have it. So how do, we, how do we get it? That is, how can we delight in the law of the Lord? Uh, like the text says, isn't the law supposed to be a burden on us? Uh, since we could never uphold it perfectly, right? Aren't we, aren't we uh, merely sinners in the hands of an angry God with no good news? Um, and the answer to that is, well, we have to go. We have to look at the the full text of Scripture and see what God has spoken authoritatively about about us, a, a regenerate people who are no longer under the uh, the power of sin. Um, and so we have to uh, we have to go to the source of our new life, which is the gospel itself, as the accomplished reality of a king who's conquered our sin. Yes, we're we're dead under the law, but God has made us alive to obey it. Um, and so that's where we find ourselves today as gospel believers who are called to take the gospel into into every aspect of our lives, every single aspect. There's no corner of your life that doesn't belong to God. Um, so that's, that's why we're looking at these values today. We're looking at the gospel and the authority of the scriptures. And so we want to drink deeply of this new life that God has given us. And we want to know how to live it, how to live this new life, and how to, how to do it, how to be gospel proclaimers and gospel demonstrators um, in humble obedience to what God has said. Um, and we believe the scripture tells us what we are and what we're supposed to do. We know the scripture is the word of God addressing his people with news about the world and with corresponding marching orders. Uh, that is, in the scripture, we find the gospel in the full picture of how to live a gospel-centered life. So you see how these, you know, the gospel, the gospel-centered life, the scripture are related. In scripture, we find the gospel in the full picture, the full picture of how to live a gospel-centered life. And so the reality is, as we've already talked about, we are the man, we're the blessed man in Psalm 1. We the church are. Uh, Christ goes before us ultimately, and he, he leads the way, and we're supposed to follow him there. Um, like our work in daily life in the mundane is, is in fact gospel work. We're supposed to be gospel ministers in our workplace. Uh, in him we're to bear fruit and stand strong in the face of opposition. We, we want to be like the tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. We, we actually want to prosper in the Lord um, in all that we do. And ultimately, we want to be delighting in the word of the Lord because that is how we're made to live in this world. It's supposed to permeate every aspect of our lives. So every area of our life is to be seasoned by this delight in God's word. So we want to highlight it and, and protect it. We want to bring it to the front and then you know, put it in your face and then make sure that we're all doing that as a church family. Um, and so that's why it's an ecclesia value, and why we kind of place it centrally, even you know chronologically. We have these 
uh, gospel-centered areas of life, sort of on the front end, these gospel-centered values, but then we have the, the scripture as the, the cornerstone of this series before we start going into the particulars of Ecclesia. Um, and so realizing that, and seeking not to walk in the counsel of the wicked, and seeking not to stand in the way of sinners, and seeking not to sit in the seat of scoffers, we want to meditate on what God has spoken. We need to we need to drink deeply of it and have it within us, in our bones. We need to be walking libraries. The law bears witness to Christ as its substance. So, you know, the law which once condemned us is now, it sets up this need for Christ. And uh, in, with Christ being perfectly obedient to it, um, we see a perfect example of what it looks like to live a godly life. Um, so we see Christ in the law. Uh, he's a perfect law keeper on our behalf. And so we want to meditate on the law of God like the blessed man in Psalm 1. So let's look at the gospel. Um, uh, you know, other voices are going to try to push us away from that truth. Um, you know, the voices, the other voices in your life, other influences are going to present you with another gospel. Hey, this will make you happy. This brand will, you know, satisfy your particular <clears throat> existential desire that you happen to have right now that totally won't change tomorrow. Um, or they'll give you another law. So the world is heaping on another gospel or it's heaping on another law, which is, you know, act this way. You need to do this. Um, but we as believers want to stand firm. Uh, and so we need to turn to the scriptures, which are the very words of God, to his people, um, so that we can have these explained to us. So that brings us to point one, which is the gospel. Hopefully, as Ecclesians, we understand the gospel. So what is the gospel? Um, are we too proud to revisit the question? Uh, you know, is this, is this something that's so elementary that we shouldn't, you know, it should just be taken for granted and we should just never... Never talk about it, just kind of expecting that everyone gets it. Um, you know, shouldn't we already know about it? Shouldn't we get it? I mean, in a sense we do, but we also forget it every day. Um, you know, we're going into these workplaces, into the hostile land. And so, um, let's pick up from Psalm 1 and uh, start our tour. Let's go to Ephesians 2. It'll be verses 1 through 7. So we're going to look at what Paul says about the reality that the blessed man from Psalm 1 realizes. So the guy in Psalm 1 is talking about, you know, blessed is the man who meditates on God's law, on his word. Um, we're going to look at some of the, the substance of that, what God has said. So let's do that. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read 1 through 7. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian Christians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once, once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. You were following the devil. You were literally following the devil. Uh, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. He made us alive when we were dead, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Mm. Solo gratia. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, <coughs> so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So, summary, first four words. And you were dead. You were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins and once you walked. Following the course of this world, we all know what that looks like. Following the prince of the power of the air, who is the devil, um, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were, we were dead because we were following another king. We were following Satan. We were worshiping the flesh. We hated God and lived our, our lives in opposition to him. We were walking in the counsel of the wicked, to put in Psalms 1 language. We were walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners and sitting in the seat of scoffers. We didn't believe the gospel. 
there was a time in your life when you didn't believe the gospel, even if you didn't remember it. You were you were born dead. But God sent his son on our behalf. So Christ lived a perfectly righteous life, died your sinful death on a cross, the death that you deserved, and defeated that death through resurrection. So when Jesus rose, he defeated death for us so that we would be raised to life with him. Um, He's made a people out of his resurrection. Um, God fully and completely reconciled us to himself in the Father's sending, the Son's accomplishing, and the Spirit's empowering. We were dead and made alive, which is an absolute Trinitarian miracle. Um, We were dead and made alive. He's raised us up with the very Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. He broke the curse brought on by our total refusal and inability to honor God and his law. He gave us a new life, so we have to live and act alive. He's given us a new life, so we have to live and act like we are, in fact, alive. Um, He's raised us up from the seat of scoffers and sent us on our way to walk by the light of his word and into the rest of our lives. Um, You'll notice that the seat, where the scoffers are in the seat, they're sitting around, they're not not doing anything. They're casting judgment on God. Uh, they're not living in his world. They're, they're just sitting down, sort of idly musing. But God has raised us up in that seat. Uh, we were dead. We hated God. We were worshiping the devil by sitting down and scoffing at God's word. But he's made us alive. Um, and he sent us into the rest of our lives to, to walk and to work. Um, Another picture. So let's skip down to 11 through 13 in that same chapter. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the point of this passage is that Paul is wanting us to see that we have no birthright to receive God's grace. Like you weren't just, you know, just because you were born in a certain sphere of life, in a certain nation, uh, you are not, God is not obligated to pour out his grace and goodness on you. Um, And I think this is kind of especially the case as many of us are, are, are Gentiles, to use the old, you know, outdated, uh, classist language. We're Gentiles. Um, and so what Paul is pointing out here is that even with Israel falling short of being God's true people, um, after receiving his law, that is, after receiving the covenants, the promises of Christ, even after Israel um, had received those things as a nation, we Gentiles didn't even have that. We, we have no. We have no history. Uh, the way that the uh, the nation of Israel did. Um, so our passport. We, you know, we had a passport to get into this nation. We couldn't get past the wall. Uh, we couldn't get into the New Jerusalem because we were enemies of the state. Uh, but Christ brought us near by rescuing us from the nation of the devil and giving us Christian names and a new heart. And so, um, yeah, we were we were far off. We were locked out. Um, of being in the presence of God and his people. But um, through Christ, we are now uh, unified with Christ. And then, therefore, with those who are in Christ, we're unified not only with the king, but also with his kingdom. And so, the sin that we wielded toward God, you know, to hide from God, ended up destroying us, and so we hid from the light. But the good news, the gospel is that Christ, the light of the world, came to us and killed us um, and made us alive in him. Look at baptism. Look at the picture of baptism. Tariq, you were baptized last year. Um, It's a a picture. Um, You're you're dead to sin and now alive in Christ. And not only were you dead to sin, but now you're alive, but you have a new citizenship in his kingdom. So friends, we must remember what God has saved us from if we're to give him the right kind of glory. There's no good news without bad news. We can say it all. Ryan's taught us well. Um, there's no good news without bad news. We must remember what God has saved us from if, we remember, if we're supposed to remember what he saved us to. We can't delight in the law of God like the blessed man in Psalm 1 
if it's only addition, if it's only an addition to our own inherent morality, our own inherent goodness. Um, so if you're basically good, and what God offers you is an addition to your goodness, then the gospel's really ultimately about you. Uh, if you're just inherently good and things are great, and God has, you know, done this work to make you better, then really the, the gospel is about you. No, it's it's about being dead and being raised to new life. <coughs> Um, and so in that sense, uh, Ecclesia has a pretty robust view of, uh, of humanity and of, of the work of God. So we can, we can confess with Jonah and with John Calvin or whoever you like that, uh, when, we, that when, when we say that salvation comes from the Lord, we mean that in the fullest biblical sense possible. We were dead. And made alive. There's nothing that we could bring to the table. So we affirm the miracle of salvation. Salvation is an absolute miracle. Um, and so if, when you look at a church, you're looking at not only image bearers of God who are made his, his image and you know inherently uh, worthy of dignity and respect, but also you're looking at a miracle. You could have been sleeping in this morning. Uh, it's 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 just amazing and fascinating that. God has made us a new people, and he's drawn us together uh, to come together on Sunday mornings. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we affirm the miracle of salvation, and that's what you're doing when you come together on Sunday, is you're affirming the miracle of salvation, not only in yourself, but also in fellow believers. So when we see that God has caused that miracle of life and a dead heart, everything he's given you is now a gift. You know, you didn't deserve it. You were dead, and now you're alive. Remember? Um, and not something that you're entitled to. So your good job, the, the job that you have, which is hopefully good, is a gift from the right hand of God. And if it's not a great job, then it's also a gift from the right hand of God, which I am constantly preaching myself. <laughs> it's not a result of your studies and your resume, your portfolio, your really good interview skills, your devilish smile. Um, no, your stable. Sorry, Bradley. Your stable health is a blessing. Your stable health, the health that you have to, you know, get out of bed. It's a blessing. It's not. It's not just biology as usual. You know, God is actively causing you to be held together. It's not biology. Your wife and kids, your spouse, your husband and kids, your wife and kids, are not coincidental or luck or burden. But they're gifts to be cultivated. Your parents are gifts to be honored and respected and cultivated. Uh, so, speaking to those of us who are children in the room, of parents, that's all of us. Um, our parents are a gift. So, God has freely given these things to you in your new life, He's freely given them to you. They still belong to him. You're just using them. So it's the idea of stewardship. And so the gospel has set us free to rightly receive these things from God. The man, once guilty, who is now set free, sees everything as a gift. God, how could, this, how could I have a job that provides for my family? I didn't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve uh, parents who care for and um, support me emotionally. I don't deserve these things. These, these are a, a tremendous blessing and a gift. And so with the guilty man, the man who was once guilty, who's now been set free, he sees everything as a gift with a sigh of deepest relief and thankfulness. And so it's written, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all that you're doing to the glory of God. The question is, well, why? Well, it's because you can. You get to. This is such a good... This is what you were made to do. It's such a blessing. You get to. And actually, you you have to. You have to be giving glory to God. That's how this world works. That's how he set it up. He has the right to all the glory. And so, that's what the Psalm 1 passage is talking about. When it says, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Blessed means happy and joyful and exuberant. It means thankful. So when God gives you things, he, he intends for you to receive them as a blessing. And it should show. It should be erupting out of all of your life. 
So this is what it looks like to live a gospel-centered life. It means you know, to be regenerate, to be made alive in Christ, to know, to love, to trust, to repent toward, and to believe in Christ for your salvation from God's righteous judgment. You know, that's the first you know, practical step in this really practical series. Number two, you have to see the entire earth as God's in the fullness thereof. And number three, you have to apply yourself to cultivate every aspect of God's world that he's entrusted to you. Not only that, but you have to do it according to the way that he has shown you how to do it, according to his rule book, which leads us to number two, if you're taking notes, which is the gospel-centered life. Um, so, point number two, if you're taking notes, the gospel-centered life. The word gospel basically means good news brought to a town of our particular ruler's victory. Uh, that's originally what it meant. Uh, and so the Gospels uh, rightly appropriated it and used it uh, in Scripture to express what Christ had done over sin. What had Christ done? Well, he defeated sin and put everything under, under his feet. So we'll scoot back over to Ephesians 1. Uh, verses 22 through 23, and uh, see how that how that matters for us us as a new people as a church. So Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, fairly short sentence for Paul. And he, who is he? Well, you go back. It's it's God. It's the Father, the the, the God who's working. He put all things under his feet. And gave him, it was him, it was Christ, gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of, of him who fills all in all. And so in this text we see not only Christ seated on the throne, beside the Father, in heaven, but he's also the head of the church, the, the universal church, which uh, as of right now is partially right here. Uh, God is head of the church, right here and right now. All things have been put under his feet. Um, and so God knows the way of righteousness because he walks with us. Uh, he became a man and lived among us and uh, died, ascended, and knows what it was like to be a man. And so what that means for us is we don't leave Christ in the kitchen at the kitchen table after a quiet after a quiet time, so that we can go to work and, and be just like everyone else. Um, he comes with us. He walks with us. His spirit indwells in us because he's Lord over that sphere of life that you're going into, whether it's taking care of your kids or taking care of a project at work. And so God is sovereign over these areas in our lives. So your situation at work belongs to him. It's his. And so realizing that, being what does it mean to be centered on the gospel then? Uh, being centered on the gospel there, around others, around people who are watching you, means realizing that you live in a fallen world among people who don't know God. You're, you're living around unbelievers who are in need of the gospel. They're living under sin. They're haters of God. They're fools, Scripture says. You're living in the fallen world, and then two, you're offering forgiveness and and, and possibly humble correction uh, to those who are in sin. And so as a Christian, one of the best things that you can do um, for unbelievers, just from, a, just from a really practical perspective, one of the best things that you can do for unbelieving co-workers, for unbelieving spouses or children even, um, is to help them make sense of sin and its effect in their lives. Because um, they don't... They don't know. They really don't. They don't have the gospel. They don't have the truth of scripture. Um, they don't have the heart. They don't have the eyes to see what God has said about this world. And so um, you can help them to understand this world that they live in. Um, and more, moreover, if you can be honest about your own sin, how God has shown his kindness to you, rather than simply ex excusing your own sin and letting the moment pass, um, you can you can proclaim the gospel to them using yourself as like the test case. Hey, I was dead in sin, but now God has made me alive in Christ. Look at what look at what He's done. Uh, and so you can proclaim the gospel to them. 
and you you know it's your job to this is part of the great commission is to teach the nations to disciple them and so with that being the case we we don't walk in the counsel of the wicked we don't walk in the counsel of the wicked but we can we can counsel the wicked we can help them we can proclaim the gospel to them and call them to repent and believe um, and so we can call you but we also don't want to leave them there without hope for making things right uh, tell them about christ and his work um and so for believers as well not just for unbelievers um, scripture promises that the word doesn't return void um, so our job is to proclaim the word faithfully and to let the lord do the rest not to change like our job is not to change hearts of stone um, but to be faithful and to proclaim the word and so this is what it looks like to prosper in the psalms in the psalm one language um, this is what it looks like to prosper in all that you do you have to see Whatever you're doing as God's, you have to be faithful with it, whether it's your family, your project at work, your neighborhood, your homework, your schooling. Um, you have to be faithful with it. You live in God's world. You, in fact, live in God's world. And so doing work or handling relationships His way is not only intrinsically good and right, but it's also like extrinsically beneficial like it's externally like it's it's good to do these things you know you think about a the picture of a um godly workspace or of a godly family like it's it's a beautiful picture it's a glorious picture um so it's it's it just works well um and so you know you think about the opposite of you know pretending like you're not living in god's world and you know paying your taxes <coughs> Paying your taxes saves you a lot of trouble, um, and if you don't, it causes problems. So it's a good and you know externally like beneficial, wise thing to do to um, live according to live in God's world according to what He says about it. So this is what it means when it says God knows the way of the righteous. He's familiar with it. He's walked it Himself. God knows the way of the righteous because He's walked it Himself. He's put his spirit in us to move our feet when we can't move ourselves. And so we ought to know and love it ourselves and encourage one another in the faith as we are on our own journeys um, in work or whatever, um, namely gospel-centered community and gospel-centered discipleship. And so Ecclesia, as a community, we are here to help one another as we you know, go into our lives. So things like... Uh, Simply praying for one another, uh, texting each other, uh, encouragement, um, sometimes offering correction. Um, that's that's the most life-giving thing that we can do, and um, we remember that we're on mission. Um, so we go back to Psalm 1. The gospel-centered life proceeds from a new heart that is meditating on God's word day and night, on the law in light of the gospel. The way the wicked ends up perishing soon enough. So how long can you go about paying your taxes or lying or stealing in God's world? It just it doesn't last. God won't be mocked. Um, but he has made a way in Christ to not be entrapped by the devil. Um, the world needs to see and hear that. Um, it's, it's, it's Christ. We need to be walking Bibles, proclaiming the word. We need to be showing people the way. And so... What doesn't last, you know, the world is slowly fading away. Um, God has uh, put things, put all things under his feet. Um, it's not going to last. But what does last is God's word, which lasts forever. Um, and that brings us to our last point, which is the word of God. Uh, but before going there, um, so briefly, gospel-centeredness, what is it? Brief summary, that was a lot of words. Gospel-centeredness, point number two. Um, what is it? It's all of Christ for all of life. It's applying what you know to be true from Scripture to situations in your own life. And it just means being a faithful Christian, being a marketplace Christian, as we've talked about. So, um, yeah, these situations will change. You know, technologies will rise and fall, nations will rise and fall, but the Word of God will not. So we need to go to the source to know how to handle these things, which is unchanging. So, point number three for the note takers, the word of God. 
our entire ministry hangs on this single thread. So uh, we're going to look at two texts for this section, uh, one of which is pretty early. It's, it's from pretty early in Paul's ministry, and one of which is the very last. So we're looking at you know, sort of Paul's life very circumspectly, but also just uh, yeah, the, the content of what he was saying at the beginning and how it, it was preserved through, through the end. So um, we're going to look at Galatians 1 and 2 Timothy 3 which are really great passages. So go to 2 Timothy 3 first, put your finger there, and then, you know, head toward Genesis till you hit Galatians. Yeah, let's go to Galatians. Um, so Galatians, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven <coughs> preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So the substance of the apostles' teaching is the gospel. He's saying there is a gospel, and there are people who are trying to convince you that there is another gospel, which is accomplished through uh, works according to the law. You can become acceptable to God uh, with Christ plus, in this case, circumcision. And so adding a single you know, speck of human work to uh, the work of Christ um, lands you in a in a completely different realm than the gospel. It doesn't, it doesn't count. Um, so the substance of the apostles' teaching is the gospel. And so if someone changes that message, they have a, a false gospel, a pseudo-gospel, a fake gospel, and are trying to be set apart, or, and, and are to be set apart for destruction by God. And so Paul's using this really serious language um, for you know, what it looks like to corrupt the gospel. Um, and so the question is, how do we, how do we know what the gospel in the first place even is because um, we don't you know we weren't walking around in the ancient near east uh, with paul and the apostles so you know he's saying the the one that i told you the gospel that i told you don't you know don't get don't get off track from that well how do we know what that is well you have to look at the new testament you have to look at all of it you have to look at the text you have to look at acts or ephesians or james or romans or john they all authoritatively interpreted the life and death and resurrection of Christ as the sole basis of our right standing before God. And so they show us what it means with, with respect to the Old Testament, with respect to the cosmos, with respect to your work, and respect to your marriage, and with respect to your eating or drinking or whatever it is you happen to be doing. Um, the New Testament fully talks about the Christ event and applies it to all of life, all of the world, all that God has said. And so anybody else who's trying to say something contrary to what Scripture teaches uh, that doesn't have the mirror image is a false gospel. It's an enemy fighting for territory in God's kingdom and we're to give it no quarter. And so the role of Scripture then in, uh, in our lives is to help us stay, uh, to, to be able to discern what is, a, what is an instance of the true gospel, and uh, what the lies of the enemy are. And so the role of Scripture is in preserving the purity of the gospel, um, which, by the way, no tradition, no church authority, no political movement could, could preserve the gospel. Those things are corrupted human institutions, um, which can be good, they can be wrong. They are fallible. Scripture is not. It's authoritative. It's infallible. It's incorruptible. We have a text from God who has spoken, preserved his word. Um, and so, in that sense, it keeps us from unbelief. And so you might say that the scripture was preserved 
throughout all time, you know, throughout the dark ages. It was preserved so that you would be preserved. The gospel is contained in the scriptures, and God wants to have his whole church have that message. You know, the people of God have to have their covenant documents. You know, what do I do? What's, what's the gospel? All these questions about life. God has preserved the scriptures so that he could preserve his people. And if he's going to preserve his own word, how much more will he not preserve you? Which leads us to 2 Timothy 3. <clears throat> verses 16 through 17, which should be very familiar to you, because Ryan is a good teacher. Um, but as for you, Paul's talking to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so this is, as much as it is for Timothy then, it's for us to hear now. Uh, what we've heard, which is, the gospel, the pure gospel, which is we were dead and made alive in Christ. Uh, that needs to be preserved. Uh, we need to we need to stay with it. We need to not change it, not add to it, not subtract from it. Um, but we are to build on top of it into the rest of our lives. So the role then of Scripture is in helping to preserve that. And if you've been around. Ryan, for more than 10 minutes or so, he's probably said the phrase, read the Bible. <laughs> read the Bible. Read, read the Bible. And so he, he constantly, and we're, we're constantly hearing this as a church, we need to constantly be doing it. Read the Bible. Why? Why should I read the Bible? Just real practically, so that your soul's not in danger. Uh, so that you continue, you can continue in what you've learned and firmly believed to be complete and equipped for every good work. Again, there's that song, one language. So, when you read the Bible, when you and I read the Bible, we are gearing up for, for war. We are in war right now. The enemy wants us to lose sight of the gospel and to be muddled and vulnerable. But by God's work in our hearts, we now love the Word of God and are not overly burdened by it. We can now read it. Like we can now read it with new eyes, with a new heart to love it. Um, we can now read it and hope that we, we can actually hope that God does work in our lives. And when you were not in Christ, you you wanted to be left alone by God because it was uh, not only embarrassing intellectually to be so wrong about things, but it was it's it's a fearful thing to be to be seen by a holy God. Um, and those who are not in Christ, uh, they have no basis of, of of loving God. They're His enemy. And so, we can now actually love the Word of God. We can read it and hope that God does work in our lives. So God's Word, then, is meant to be read and not left in the Bible. Like, like yes, it, need, it does need to stay there in a sense. We need to not change it. But it's not supposed to stay there in the sense that you know, we close our Bible and that's the end of our Christianity for the day. It's supposed to permeate into all of our lives. We don't change Scripture, but Scripture changes us. And so, it's not meant to stay in the Bible, in a sense, but it's meant to be written all over our lives. So it, is, it establishes us, it sanctifies us when we read it, so that we can do work in applying it to all these spheres of our life. Um, so per Psalm 1, the, the Scripture, the Word of God, is the river that we're planted by and not shaken from. Um, unlike those who are, who are blown by chaff by every wind of doctrine. And so when we compromise on the Word of God, um, you know, it's a helpful book. It's, you know, good teachings in there. Um, we're selling out the foundation of all of our knowledge. Um, and so when we read these pages, we're 
reading the words of the king who has spoken authoritatively to us. It's a covenant document for how we're supposed to live our lives. And so we should, we should listen up. God's been kind to you. He's given you a brand new heart. Uh, and so we should rejoice. He's given us good things like jobs to provide for our families with, and children to love and bless. Um, and so we should receive those things, cultivate them according to the biblical worldview. Um, and that requires meditating on his word day and night, you know, all of Christ for all of life. Um, and, you know, what motivates us is the fact that he has been so good to us. Uh, and that reality is why we're here now on Sunday at Ecclesia. It's, it's, it's how we're here as a church. So, um, yeah, let's ask God for help as we um, seek to apply his word to our lives and um, as uh, Preston and Ryan get ready for communion. Lord, um, we know that you've spoken. We know that you have um, given us new hearts, raised us from death to life. You have conquered your enemies, and you've in fact made us your friends. Not only your friends, but also your children. You've adopted us in your household. And so, Lord, we just ask for your help to to love your word, cherish it, to hold it as precious, and to apply it to our lives. God, help us to be like Christ, the blessed man from Psalm 1, who meditates on the word day and night, who's planted by the river, and who isn't blown about by every wind doctrine. So Lord, help Ecclesia to be a faithful gospel community and to be a, a lighthouse for the truth for those who are, who are lost. Um, so yeah, Lord, we ask these things. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia of Newton Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, or hear more like this, check out our website, ecclesianewton.com.